Hello, you are listening to the Plumfield Moms, and this is Plumfield in Person. Hi, I'm Diane Pendergraft, and I'm here with Sarah Masaryk, and we have Sarah Kim with us today and Tanya Arnold. These are two of our Biblio Guides ladies, but we're here today as fellow book lovers. Sarah and I really appreciate all the things that we've been able to do together in the last, shall we say, several months, and just the fun we've had getting to know each other, Biblio Guides and Plumfield working together, and getting to be friends. I like that. Yeah, like peanut butter and jelly, really. You guys can decide if you're the peanut butter or the jelly. We'll be whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I, I really agree, Diane. We've said this before, and we'll probably say it again because it is just the way things are in life. But one of the really beautiful things about relationship is that things are always evolving. And the more that we've gotten to know Sarah and Tanya and BiblioGuides in general, just the more we see how how beautiful that program is, how wonderful these ladies are, and just how much we enjoy them, how much we have in common, how much our two projects overlap. And it has just been a really fantastic opportunity to grow and evolve. And ultimately, they got into this because of a love of books. And we got into this because of a love of books. So we've been doing a lot of talking with each other on this podcast about a lot of things and realized, you know, it might just really be fun to be able to get together once a month as the four of us and talk about what we're reading. The, the thing that's not scheduled as an episode, not the necessarily the book club episode or the featured book that they're working on or the featured book that we're working on, but rather, hey, girls, what are you reading? What What's filling up your mind and your heart right now? What stories are speaking to you? So, Sarah Kim, what does your reading life look like in this season of life that you're in? Yeah, so I think everybody knows I have a young daughter who's almost two, and she takes up the vast majority of my life. (laughs) Uh, But I do have some time in the evenings to read. Right now, I'm really focused on pre-reading for my 13-year-old son. He's in his final term of grade seven, Mm -hmm. uh, which starting next week. So I'm frantically skimming books and scheduling those. Nice. And reading lots of picture books, a lot for our new partner guide, Kids Read the World. And so I've been reading some great picture books from around the world. And I do go to the library very regularly and get picture books. And other than that, I listen to audiobooks. So on our walks to the library and the grocery store is when I get in my other reading, which is my non-kid reading. So I get to listen (laughs) to audiobooks that way. (laughs) Nice. Sarah, do you try to preview everything that your son reads before he reads it in school? I used to. I I can't keep up anymore. Mm-hmm. So I don't read all of like his free reads, but I do at least skim all of his school books. And I try to pre-read as many as I can. I skim them mostly to schedule them out. And, and then every week, the week before, you know, like on a Saturday or Sunday before the next week, I try to actually read the section he'll be reading that week so that we can discuss it if we need to or yeah, I know nice. if he kind of understood what he was reading. So in that way, I do get to read most of what he reads. Nice. You know, we always say this, that one of the great gifts of homeschooling is that we get all the things we didn't get. So it doesn't Mm -hmm. really matter when in life you get that book. The fact is, if you get it, it's a good thing. And so 
I love reading with and for my kids as well. A great way to pack in a lot of classics that really can, I don't know about you, but for me, they really fill a specific part of my heart and my mind. There's a certain digestibility to them and they make it for really interesting thinking for me and a really well contrast with the reading I'm doing for my other projects. So I like having that balance in my life. Mm -hmm. In the evenings, I do read aloud a little bit to my 13-year-old son. We don't have a lot of time anymore, but 10, 15 minutes while he's having a snack. So we're reading through Animal Farm right now. Nice. And sometimes I'll switch it up and read multiple ones and we'll switch around. But we've been reading that one pretty consistently. I think we're on the last chapter. So it's been great. I, I'm pretty sure I read it before, but I I knew what it was about, but I didn't remember any of the details. So uh-huh. it's good to read. So how do you pick those books for your evening read aloud? Do you pick them or does he pick them? I choose those. And I usually try to choose one of the kind of literature books that I would want him to read but maybe the one that I would want to read again too. Yes. <laughs> um, or ones that I think he might not really enjoy on his own. So we do kind of like a nature reader, something that covers like the years. Right now we're reading the living year. So I'm reading like the February chapter. And sometimes it'll be a religious book or mm-hmm. a book that covers kind of like developmental stage that he's kind of at that I want to just be able to talk to him about those kind of things. That really special time that happens when you read aloud with a child of any age. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was first starting to homeschool, the veteran moms would say, read aloud, read aloud, read aloud. And if you have a 13-year-old or an 18-year-old, read aloud, read aloud, read aloud. There's just no substitute for reading aloud and reading as a family. You get this, this bond. Even if you're reading with one child or you're reading with all your children, it doesn't matter that the bond is, it's real and it becomes family culture for life. Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, I would say I read aloud to my teenagers a lot, but even picture books to my teenagers because I am in love with picture book biographies, <laughs> yes. but I, I just read two today that were just wow that I read to Ava. But as I was reading to my eight-year-old, my husband came up for lunch. He works from home and I have a nephew who's 21 that's living with us and he walked upstairs. He was getting ready for work and then everyone paused and listen to the story nice, because it's so engaging. And then I just feel like even though I didn't have an actual interaction with any of them, it was relationship building. It was bonding. We all, we all sat and listened to the story and now it's part of the family vernacular yes. of the story that we shared. And because they are so good, they're just so memorable, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. So I love that. I read aloud to my husband children's books all the time. <laughs> I think that's awesome. <laughs> I'll have to tell you about a family read aloud that we had at Christmas time because my youngest is going to be 36 this summer, but my middle son's wife made a book for my oldest son because we do Christmas presents, just we just choose names and it has to be something that you made. So she drew the pictures and wrote the story, but it was about all of us spending time on his property living off the land. So I'm, that's mm-hmm. probably all the details mm-hmm. I'll give you. But she had <laughs> done this book for him and he already had the book. But she had said, when you get together at Christmas time, because they weren't going to be with us, mom has to read this out loud to everyone. Mm. <laughs> I love it was pretty funny. And it was also one of those things where it's like, um, I thought that was funny. Did you think that was funny? I know it was, you know, about you, but did uh, it was funny, right? 
<laughs> but it was really good. We had to, you know, just stop and laugh about, oh my gosh, that fits so perfectly. <laughs> oh. Anyway, so mom still has to read aloud. <laughs> Diane, was it mm-hmm. fictional or was it was it uh, memories? <laughs> no, it was fiction. Future fiction. Yeah. <laughs> Future oh, fiction. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So Tanya, what about you? What is your reading like right now? I would say that right now, so I think I've shared this before. I feel like I'm a very slow, methodical reader. So I don't pound out 150 books a year Mm -hmm. unless we qualify what types of books count as a quote unquote book. Like I could probably read 150 picture books. (laughs) (laughs) But I, you know, I see those things where where people are sharing how many books they read. And I think it's amazing and impressive. And I admire the people that are in a stage of life or a season of life where they're doing a lot of reading. I look forward to Mm -hmm. that. I just feel like generally I'm a slow, methodical reader. I really have to concentrate on what I'm reading because my brain wants to go in a thousand different directions usually. And I've just been in a state as a mom of overwhelm and low brain capacity Mm -hmm. in all honesty. Like I'm, you know, I think if you're tired or and run down, which can happen as a mom, Mm -hmm. that your brain just is tired. So for me, a lot of my reading revolves around school, so what I'm reading out loud. And when I had high schoolers, I still have some high schoolers and young adults, the stories that I want to make sure that they've had that we've read together. Yeah. So I did a lot of reading aloud, or we did a lot and still do a lot on Audible, but we each have our own copy to read along mm-hmm. so that I have a break from reading aloud and we can have a great narration, and we all enjoy that. And then we do Audibles at lunchtime. And then just for my own personal, like more in-depth adult reading, I'm just reading along with you guys. So, (laughs) and I know that some of those are young adults, but I love knowing that we're going to have a great book with a great discussion. So I am reading Keeper of the Bees, Mm -hmm. preparing for that. Yay. But I just, I think for me, I just want other moms to feel. Yes. Do you know what I I mean? Like, I don't think there's any shame in saying. I'm just, the best I can do is some picture books. I'm in a season where everything I'm reading is picture books and children's books, and that's okay. If it's that in your Bible and that's all you're getting to, that that's okay mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. a season. Yes. I, I mean, I yeah. think the point is that an excellently written book is an excellently written book. And I always remember that our Lord preached in parables, which were short stories. And so I don't think there's any great, sadness in only reading short stories if that's where you are in life. Because if it was good enough for our Lord, it's probably good enough for us too, right? (laughs) I mean, I think there's something to be said for digging into the great tomes and classics. The classics are always worth our time, but they're not always appropriate to every season we're in. And so I think that understanding where we are and just exercising our reading muscles in the way that suits our season that's the virtue there. It is about remembering the reading is not to be a tyrant. It is to be an exercise in self-care, an exercise in growth, an exercise in nurturing, and an exercise in thinking differently. And you can do that in little bits or big bits, whatever, whatever suits the season you're in. We also have classic picture books. Yes. There's a reason that we're still reading the same ones after years and years and years. And yes. and if you're reading a picture book that stops your your husband and your nephew, who's an adult, to listen, then 
that's a good book, even if it's mostly pictures. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Diane, what about you? What is your reading life like right now? (laughs) My reading life is such that this morning I sat down to make some notes because I thought, I I don't know what I'm reading right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm rather disconnected from a lot of things. The season that we're in is uh, an eight-week stint in the state capitol away from home. And I had been going back and forth from our house back to the capitol. And then two weeks ago, I came back to the capitol, but thought I was going home the next week. So I don't Mm. have some of the stuff that I would have brought with me if I had known that I wasn't going to be here. So I am not surrounded by books, but I have my Kindle. I have my trusty Kindle and grabbed a couple (laughs) of things that I needed to read for school. Um, Mm. But I don't have Keeper of the Bees. So when I get home next week, I got to get going on that. Um, Mm. I have, I think, brought two books with me actual books <laughs> so, uh, and and days are full so I teach a homeschool literature class just once a week but I have we have five levels of of students there so I'm trying to keep up on what's next for them when I get back mm-hmm. and read what I need to do for our book clubs and then at night just have something on my kindle that I don't even have to think about and that's about all I've been doing for the last several weeks so what qualifies for you as the thing you don't need to think about like what what kind of book is that diane we, we oh do tell <laughs> mm-hmm. spill the beans well i will tell you where i ended up recently and i don't remember maybe it was one of you who mentioned O douglas does that sound mm-hmm. familiar she was mm-hmm. a, it was a woman and she was writing in the 1920s but she's the sister of john bucken who wrote the 39 steps among other things oh. does that sound familiar? okay yeah so Apparently, just from looking up a little bit about her, some people complained that her books were just too nice and there wasn't much to them. But I thought, <laughs> well, you know, it's worth a try. I, I really like the 1920s authors who were writing in that era of World War One when things were changing so much. So mm-hmm. I was reading, it was called The Proper Place. And it was about some women who, husband, father, brothers all died in the war. So they find themselves alone oh. and they have to leave their family home and go live somewhere else. And so it's not real deep, but it was interesting building characters and the people they um, meet when they get there. And mm. it was just really kind of nice, but she doesn't make everybody all happy in the end. Well, then mm-hmm. there was a sequel called A Day of Small Things. And you know how I feel about sequels. It really mm-hmm. was a lot of really small things. And by the end, I was skimming. Oh, oh. <laughs> So come on, come so on, just are- tell me how this ends up. <laughs> So in case our listeners don't know, Diane really thinks that a book should be a book, not a sequel, not a trilogy, definitely not a series. <laughs> very, very few exceptions to that rule. Am I right, Diane? There are some, but they are few. Yes. <laughs> and I think that's funny because I think that moms today tend to love series for themselves and for their children, because I think that there is a sense that if you get something good, well, the rest might, must also be good. And then it's one less decision I have to make and I can just get the next book and not think too hard, you know, decision fatigue kind of a thing. But as we have learned, some series degrade. And so 
I still like series. <laughs> I like knowing more of the story for my characters. And uh, Diane and I will always probably be at odds about that. <laughs> That's kind of the joy of our friendship is that we can disagree so well together. Um, but there you go. Sometimes Diane's right and the series doesn't turn out well. And I go, darn it. Diane's right about that one. But then sometimes, you know, I remind her that she's a big fan of the Space Trilogy. And that's how many books, Diane? Is that three? That's definitely more than one. That's right. But they're all really <laughs> different. It is not continuation of the oh. same story where somebody's mm -hmm. trying to maintain interest in a family <laughs> or something like that the whole time. Okay, fine. We can have that debate when we get to the space trilogy. In That's a right. Of Let's not talk about Martha. Right? <laughs> I think there there are two elements to that for me, though. When I was a kid, and I remember, like reading Ramona the Pest. Ah, uh, yeah. There's a lot of those books about Ramona and her sister and her friends and neighbors and dogs and everything. Mm -hmm. And I thought Ramona the Pest was hilarious when I was in grade school. <laughs> but I looked at what everybody else was reading and was went, oh. I have, do I have to read all of those? And it was just mm. kind of overwhelm. And then it was also, if everybody's doing it, I'm always suspicious. Mm -hmm. With what you were saying about moms and kids who just like series, I think that some of it is just, it's cultural. It's a training thing too. Yeah. I didn't grow up with even thinking that. Like if I saw a movie on TV, I had no reason to believe I would ever see it again. Because yes, you didn't just right. go pick it up at the video store. Um, you didn't mm -hmm. binge on a TV show. Right. You had to wait a week right. to find out what yes, happened next. Did. And so I think it's a completely <laughs> different, just a way of growing up where you could even think of having a series. And so mm -hmm. part of the problem is probably just that I'm old. <laughs> There's also different personalities. I tend to not want to rewatch things or re read books unless it's something really spectacular. Mm -hmm. But there are certain kids and certain people who feel, I think, a sense of comfort with the characters mm -hmm. so they like a series because they know they know the people they're like their friends they want to read yes. more about them yes. and that's me that's like the joy of it for them mm -hmm. or they want to just read the same book over and over again because it's like hanging out with their friends again <laughs> <laughs> I agree Sarah I, I think that's a great point too and I, I think there's no right or wrong here that's that's the beautiful thing and I think that's the point of this episode and this series that series we're oh, doing God. a series friends <laughs> but the point of the series that we're doing here is that <laughs> we have four really different personalities between us and so and four very different stages and perspectives and so it's our hope that our listeners might find that they really like the way Tanya does it or they might really like the way Sarah Kim does it or they might really like the way Diane does it and and so they're going to really follow what it is that that particular person is reading or saying because it really resonates with them and and our hope here is that there'll be a little something for everybody because we are, you know, offering so many different different ideas. But that one of the ideas is that there's no right or wrong way to do it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I'm in a very different stage. I'm a voracious reader. I read big books. I read deep books. Uh, and I love to talk about books with people that are reading them with me. I am very much a book club lady. <laughs> That's what I am. I build book clubs everywhere I go. And my Tuesday Night Classics Club is rereading the Brothers Karamazov. We started that in the January before COVID was a thing. I mean, COVID was here. We just didn't know it yet. And now we're reading it a second time. We, we loved it so much and we didn't get nearly as much out of it as we thought maybe we could still get out of it. So we're, we're, we're returning to it. 
also half of our group hasn't read it before. And so it's an interesting contrast to have half who know what's coming and half who don't know and to be able to talk about it and, and really tease out a lot of different things. And I'm loving that. But because of all the creative things that we are doing together on this podcast and in the various projects we're working on, I'm doing my weekly readings, Brothers Karamazov, but I'm also trying to get in as many young adult books as I can on Audible so that I, A, stay on top of the laundry, (laughs) and B, so that I can still have things to review. And so I've been doing a lot of Bethlehem books on audio, and um, we just had a conversation, which won't air for a while, but Christy Stansfield, one of our library ladies, recommended a series (laughs) that's very adorable, and I am kind of in the middle of that right now. So reading for school, reading for our projects, and reading for my book club. And I have not started Keeper of the Bees yet. Yeah, I started Keeper of the Bees. I, I got two chapters in and then I got distracted by this book that um, <laughs> I'm pre-reading. I want Quanu to read it for geography and also for California history and a time period that we're studying, which is the 1800s. So this book is Jesse Benton Fremont, California Pioneer. Mm-hmm. It's by Marguerite Higgins, who I didn't actually know that much about. This is a North Star book, so it was written in the oh, 1960s. Yeah. Uh, that series was edited by Sterling North. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Ooh. this one was reprinted by Beautiful Feet Books. So I have mm. the paperback reprint. And I live maybe 30 minutes from the city of Fremont in California. I didn't really know anything about John Charles Fremont or his wife, Jesse Benton Fremont. So mm. this has been a really fascinating read. There's all kinds of people in here that I have heard about. You know, they rubbed shoulders with the presidents. They knew the presidents were friends with them, wow. like the various people who were pre- president during their lifetime. Um, Kit Carson was somebody who traveled with them. So it's just, I mean, that whole part is just kind of interesting. And their marriage is really beautiful. They had a oh. really loving marriage. Her husband was like, uh, you know, one of the ones exploring and traveling West mm-hmm. and she's in St. Louis and missing him. And so eventually she goes with her daughter around through Panama to California to be Mm. with him. So I've read four chapters out of seven. They're kind of long chapters. I'm not all the way through, but she's just left um, and gone through. It's it's amazing to read about the journeys that it took to get Mm -hmm. across the country. It's wild. Not all that long ago. Right. (laughs) Um, So I'm I'm really enjoying this one. I definitely recommend it. Oh, I did just want to also mention the author. Like I said, I didn't know anything else that she'd written, but there's a little intro from Beautiful Feet books, I think, and also maybe from Sterling North at the beginning of this book. She was a war correspondent and she has two really fascinating looking books, which I'm also hoping to read at some point. One was about the war in Korea and one was called Our Vietnam Nightmare. Mm. She was one of the like first female war correspondents like right there wow. on the ground who was writing about her time there. And she was also the bureau chief in Berlin covering the Nuremberg war trials. So she says wow. sounds fascinating as well. Oh, that sounds exciting, Sarah. So your son is 13. And so you're pre-reading this for him. He's going to read it this next term. Yeah, that's the plan. Mm-hmm. So and you think that that's a good age range for that book? Definitely. I think probably 12 through high school. Perfect. Good. Yeah. So, Tanya, what's the favorite thing that you're reading right now? <laughs> so I am loving Keeper of the Bees, but we'll be discuss yes, that in our book Save club, that right? discussion. Um, I did want to share that 
I didn't want to read it on Kindle and I don't have an old vintage copy and there aren't really copies to be had of this book, but I found an edition that is actually really nice. Oh, good to know. So I will share that with you guys and it had a really pretty cover. Oh, yeah. Just because I felt like it was such a long book and I'm getting old and I just felt like my eyes probably needed a print book. So I did find one that will do until something more lovely might come out in the future. And it has gone to audio, which it was not on audio when Diane and I read it together years ago, and I discovered mm-hmm. it on Audible entirely by accident. So for those who might be reading it for next month's book club, Audible is also an option. So I'm loving it, and it's my first time reading that, so that's going to be a fun discussion. And Sarah, is it your first time reading it as well? Yeah, it is. And I think Laura's read it before, right? Does that sound right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, yes. good. Yeah. And obviously, Diane and I have read it. <laughs> I have been really interested in Madeline Pollant, and she's an author that Hillside Education is reprinting a lot of her books. And Bethlehem Books has reprinted Bjorn the Proud. Mm-hmm. So I just decided it was time to dig in. So for no other reason than I just wanted to read one of her books. I, there's, it's not for school or anything like that. And again, this is probably like Sarah was saying for her North Star book, this is probably maybe fifth grade up mm-hmm. could enjoy it, I think. So this is set in like the 10th century and it's the Vikings raiding Ireland and there's this girl and she gets taken. And so there's a 12-year-old Viking boy and a 12-year-old Irish girl. And he is pagan and she is Christian. And it reminded me of another series that I read that I think some people love and some people hate called... Viking Quest, and they were written by Lois Walfred Johnson. I don't know, though. Have you heard of it? So the first book is called Raiders from the Sea, and it's almost the same thing. There's a boy. Mm. He's the son of a chieftain. She's the daughter of a chieftain. Mm. They're both in this lower age range. She's a redhead. Mm. So so I was reading it going, I've read this before or something really (laughs) similar. Raiders from the Sea was published in 2003, and Bjorn the Proud is from the 60s sometime. Huh. But I am liking Madeline's writing style a lot better Mm. and the way she tells the story. And I'll be interested to see because basically they come on this raid. I've only read a couple chapters. They come on this raid and they decide they're not taking any slaves this time, but they're destroying. And he captures her and goes to his father, who's the the chieftain, and he's on the battleship and says, well, I want to take her as my slave. And the father's like, well, okay, you can. Hmm. But she knows that her home has been destroyed and she presumes that her family has been killed. Oh, wow. And then they sail down the coast and they find this monastery that's high up on a hill. Like you wouldn't even be able to tell that it was there. And they climb to the top of this monastery and they take the monks and throw them into the sea. Oh. And she witnesses this. Oh. And it's not it's not gruesomely told, right. but it's clearly realistic, right? right? And she's, she's upset. And they do take one as a prisoner. Right. She's a spitfire mm-hmm. and she she says, like they, they brought him on for luck and she said, you're going to have bad luck for doing this to a man of God. Mm-hmm. This wasn't a good decision on your part. And she she tells them things like that, even though they get really angry with her. So I'm kind of waiting to see what happens. <laughs> I love these stories about Vikings. I just think it's an interesting time period. And like I said, I'd read this other one and it was really similar. And in the other story, it's this conversion story. It's told over five books and eventually it's a conversion story. Sure. I wonder if this is a conversion mm-hmm. story or me not. Me too, me too. Mm-hmm. There's a foreword in it that someone from Bethlehem Books wrote just saying they're they're contrasting how the Irish 
were able to rebuild. Like terrible things would happen yeah. to them, but they had this faith in God and they could rebuild. But that the Vikings were constantly like never being filled. So they're they're pillaging and they're more of this and more of that and never coming to this sense of having enough or being filled or like that sense of fulfillment mm. that a faith can give you. And so what the forward says is that you're seeing this contrast between these two cultures. And I'm always fascinated by those types of stories. That's really good. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. <laughs> I would bet that kids who like the John Flanagan books of Ranger's Apprentice series and the Brother Band series might really like that book. It would be right mm -hmm. in that same wheelhouse, clearly more classically told than the John Flanagan books. But if you've got a kid who likes those books already, maybe this is one that's of a more of a literary value that you could stretch them with. Yeah. And it jumps right into the action. I've only told you a little bit. I'm glad you told me because I've had that one on my shelf for several years. I've even had the audiobook for a couple of years and I've never done it. So you're moving that one up the list for me, Tanya. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I do want to just say, though, really quickly, the picture book that I yeah. read today that was so we fascinating need to know. that had everyone engaged. <laughs> yeah. There were two of them. I had been working on a book and reading a book called 1000 Tracings. Have you guys heard of that picture no. book? It was written by Lita Judge. And anyway, I was researching her and I was putting this book on BiblioGuides. And so I went to her website to see, get some information about her. And I saw that she had these two picture book biographies. And picture book biographies are totally my they jam. They are your thing. Yeah. I, I love them. They I are have your calling card. a lot. <laughs> yes. I just. They're so fascinating and you can learn so much about so many interesting people across time mm -hmm, and cultures mm -hmm. in a really meaningful right. way. So she had two and I thought, I'll just hurry and check my library. My library had both, but one of them was called Yellowstone Moran Painting the American West. Ooh. And this book was about Thomas Moran who went on an expedition in 1871 and he wasn't invited. It was a scientific expedition to Yellowstone and he really desired to go west. He'd never ridden a horse. <laughs> he hadn't slept outside. He didn't know how to hold a gun, but he, he finagled his way onto this expedition. <laughs> he gets right. And it talks about he, how sore he was mm -hmm. riding the horse the first day. They get to Yellowstone and they're taking temperatures and, and they're taking all the scientific information. And there's a photographer. So there's both photography and then his paintings oh, that wow. he does. And when he gets back to Washington, he paints this 14 foot by seven foot painting. And the leader of the expedition takes some of the paintings and sketches to Congress. Oh. And that's when they create the first national park. Wow. And it's to preserve Yellowstone. I read about and in the that, back, Tanya, at Yellowstone. When Kwanu and I went to visit Yellowstone, they had a whole thing about that. Really? I never yeah. heard of they it. Had, and one I've gone to Yellowstone. Like up on, in one of the centers. But they also wow. made a mountain after him. Oh, they did? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that either. <laughs> and now I'm like, let's go to Yellowstone, guys. <laughs> Ava and I looked at this art for a long time, both of us just picking out the pieces that we loved. Mm -hmm. And I just, I kind of cried. I cry a lot. But when it said that his painting, <laughs> you guys know this. <laughs> like I'm trying, Ava's looking at me like, why are you crying? And I was just like, as I'm trying to read the line where it said, it said Tom's dream of painting landscapes of places most people had never seen had come true. But he had never imagined how his paintings would change the course of history. Mm. Okay, see? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. 
So, oh, yay. It was really good. I was really, and like I said, my husband and my nephew, everyone's like, oh, that's all. Tell us more. (laughs) What was the other picture book you were reading today? So, it was also by Lita Judge, and it was called Strange Creatures The Story of Walter Rothschild and His Museum. So, he was a British zoologist Mm. who, as a little boy, was super shy and didn't couldn't speak or didn't speak or wouldn't Mm. speak. It didn't clarify in the book. And so his parents kept him at home and had a governess, but they were really wealthy. They were British bankers and he loved animals and nature. So he was outside all the time. Mm. And eventually they let him bring animals from around the world to be on the property, like kangaroos and wallabies. And he, yeah, then he saw like a carnival where they had kind of exotic animals. So eventually his dream was to create like a museum of all of these exotic animals and have a place where they could be studied. And I think he got into taxidermy. It's still a thing today. It, it's now owned by like the Natural History Museum of London or something. Mm. But it changed, also changed the course of history because he identified like 5,000 new species and some are named wow. after him. And I'd never heard of him either. Wow. <laughs> so this is why I love picture book biographies. You always know the big players. Yes. Or at least the people that we have culturally identified as the big players. But when you think of history being the story of people and the number of people across all fields Mm -hmm. of science and art and music and history and all things, there's so many stories to be told. And you can get them all in picture book biographies. And the thing about a picture book biography is it's going to be, if it's done well, it's going to have beautiful illustration, which will also invite you Mm -hmm. into the story and give you sort of some visual reference to where this person lives in time and what their, what their situation is like. And then if you really like it or like this particular person or subject, then you can springboard into a deep dive on that person. I think that's really Mm-hmm. An efficient use of time. <laughs> so so this would be a great thing that moms, if you have a morning basket, you could put a picture book biography in your morning basket every week and just every week as a family get to know one more person. Yeah, I do like to be organized. And I tried to be one of those organized moms that was like, well, we're studying this. So we're going to read these picture book biographies. <laughs> right. And, yeah, no. And a, to a degree, I can do right. that. But in all honesty, I just, I gave up on perfection. I just said, <laughs> these are striking my fancy today and they're at the library. So this is what we're reading. And does it make any sense in any sort of connections? I don't know. Probably not. But what I find is that it doesn't matter what you bring in, your child will make connections Correct. that you didn't even yeah. see coming. Correct, yes. And of course, my child did today. Is she connected things to other things where I just think, well, this is random. It doesn't make any sense, but this is what we're doing. <laughs> I agree with you. I think that um, I'm a very moody reader. I, I, I say I'm going to have a plan. And unless I have a book club or a deadline that's holding me accountable, I'm going to just read what I feel like reading. <laughs> and same, even in Morning Basket. I had a friend come over over Christmas and she was saying she's never done Morning Basket. She has eight kids and she's never done Morning Basket. It's just never been a part of their homeschool. And she said, I keep hearing about this. Do, do you do this? I said, yeah, I do. And she said, well, how do you do it? And I said, oh, I'm going to tell you a little secret. I I don't subscribe to any lists or curriculum for Morning Basket. I said, I'm just really moody. I just figure if there's a good geography book in the basket and there's a good history book in the basket and some good art books and whatever I like and it all fits in the basket, every day I sit down and just grab what I want to read that day. (laughs) At some point, we'll get done with all the things that are in the basket or we won't and we'll replace them with something better. And I'm totally fine with that. 
Yeah, I don't have that exact Charlotte Mason quote, but she pretty much says exactly what you just said, Tanya. It's not the as a teacher, you don't have to put everything together so it all connects to each other and make all those connections for the child because they'll all connect to the child from what they have in their mind already. Exactly. Yeah. They'll make the connections. That's the beauty of letting kids pick the books too, is that they're going to grab what strikes their fancy. And it may be because they see a connection that they want to explore and giving them the latitude to do that is really, really good too. I just had kind of a a funny book trail connection thing for me. And I was just going, duh. But several years ago, I think maybe it was somebody on Potato Peel Pie mentioned Frank W. Borham. Do you know who he Mm -hmm. is? No. Or F.W. He was a a Baptist minister who was born in England, but ended up spending most of the rest of his life in Australia. He became Mm -hmm. famous because he started writing. He wrote over 3,000 articles in his lifetime for a newspaper. I don't know if it was a Christian newspaper or for magazines or what. But then they would put them together in books as he wrote a bunch of them. Mm. So I found out that they were free on Kindle when I heard about it. And I just thought, oh, I'll just, I'll just look at one. And then I ended up reading six or seven of them because they're just like, it would be this just this daily reading yeah. of something that was... Grab a cup of coffee. Yeah. So it was sort of spiritual, but not always just really a heavy Bible study or something like that. But he was a voracious reader. And mm. he throws out names of books and authors from the time that he was writing, like in the 20s and 30s and maybe before that, just like you would know them. Well, of course, you've heard yeah. of this guy. And then this guy here. And it sounds like he read, you know, all the books that were popular. He just was reading all the time. So I really liked that, but I hadn't read them for a while. And so after I got done with these O. Douglas books and decided I wasn't going to read any more of those, I was sort of fishing around for something else and found one of his books. It's two put together. One of them is called The Gospel of Robinson Crusoe. And the other one is The Gospel of Uncle Tom's Cabin. And that sounded really interesting to me. Yeah. I've read Uncle Tom's Cabin, so I'm kind of waiting yeah. to get to that because I'll know what he's talking about. But I've never read yeah. Robinson Crusoe. So mm. I was re- starting that one and I went, you know what I could do? I could read Robinson Crusoe because I bet <laughs> that's on Kindle too. <laughs> because like I said, I don't have any books with me. So it had to be right. something that I could get easily and fairly cheaply on my Kindle. So I'm going to start Robinson Crusoe. I haven't yet, but... <laughs> How could I, how could I'm almost, I'm going to be 61 in a couple of weeks and I've never read that. And we're the boy book moms and you have, I, I haven't read it either, Diane. I haven't either. Okay. So. Well, if it's wonderful, we can do it together next year. Sure. <laughs> if I decide I want to have to read it again, because somebody right, told right. me to. <laughs> well, if it's you telling you to, then it's your fault. So there okay. you go. All right. Well, I haven't read it either, so I have a vote for let's oh, do it. Oh, yay. What about you, Sarah? I have oh, read okay. it. I read it with Kwanu. Oh. Um, Robinson Crusoe is one of those that have a lot of different versions. So definitely check out Biblio Guides. Well, I want good, unabridged. I, I don't want to mess with, uh, with abridged. <laughs> I don't have time for that. <laughs> it's a tricky one where there were actually, I believe, multiple endings uh, oh. over the course of the book's history and but definitely you want I think one that's at least on a bridge to the point where the religious parts of the story have not been taken out right right Uh, yeah yeah a a lot of his pontificating on religious subjects which maybe some people don't appreciate but it really is part of the story right yeah yeah (laughs) well and it it, they are his words so they should stay (laughs) 
Well, I want to talk about the books that I'm really excited about, the trilogy that I just got done reading. I think these are hidden gems. And so I have a family that's joining my lending library, and they're kind of my guinea pigs, so I'm practicing on them. And they have a young lady who is not yet in her teens, but she's, you know, she's a very good reader, a very high-level reader but still very innocent. And we want to do everything possible to preserve innocence. One of our library ladies has been working with Bethlehem Books and begging them to bring back their in-review magazine that they used to do. And there was one called Ribbons to Romance, one issue called Ribbons to Romance. And it's the girl books from the little, from when they're young and they're wearing ribbons all the way up to when they're ready for actual uh, chaste romance. So that, that span And so I have been looking at my shelves very critically for any books I have not read yet that are in my library for this girl and all the other girls like her who I know are coming into my world and who will, and mamas out there who want to know, what can I give my daughter who's a voracious reader who needs something wholesome and lovely, but it isn't going to be very heavy handed and and all of the stuff. So On a whim, I grabbed the first of the Drover's Road trilogy by Joyce West, set in the 1950s, republished by Bethlehem Books. And it is so delightful. I read all three books in like four days. Okay, they're not long. They're not complicated. They're not the Brothers Karamazov, but they are really lovely and wholesome and kind of sweet and magical. And we will have a review for them in the show notes. But if you have girls in that space who maybe love horses, maybe love animals, these are the books for them. And they're set in New Zealand. So it gives you a whole different cultural flavor. If you have ever read Margot Benary Eisbert's The Ark and Rowan Farm, they remind me a little bit of those books. They also remind me a little bit of James Harriet and Ralph Moody, but set in New Zealand and um, just really lovely. So I just had to plug those because I don't think, I, I mean, I, I've never seen them mentioned on lists. They haven't been on my radar before. I was just fortunate enough that I had them on my shelf. And so I grabbed them. I fell in love and I didn't want to leave when it was all done. You wanted it to be a longer series. I did. I did. But it did end exactly where it should. And so you would want to know that it begins when she's just a little thing, you know, like 12, and it ends with her engaged. So runs that runs that span, but it's all chaste and wholesome and all really appropriate for our younger girl readers, I think. I love that because you've been telling me a lot about them I can't stop. as we've been chatting. <laughs> I know you can't stop talking about them. So they're on my wish list and I was adding them to BiblioGuides. The original books are pretty rare. Mm-hmm. So I think it's quite a treasure that we have that Bethlehem Books has been has reprinted them and that they're available. And then I was telling Sarah Kim about them and she's like, oh, good. I already own those ones. <laughs> and I was like, oh, darn, I don't yet. <laughs> and now I'm really wanting to read them because you were going on and on. It's a little Anne of Green Gables yes. and a little Little House on yes. the Prairie and a little Ralph Moody and a little The Ark. I'm like... These are all my favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> and the audio by Jill Rolls, made by, produced by Bethlehem Books, is also really, really good. So I was chatting with some mamas. A couple of mamas have reached out to us recently, and they are in Canada or they're in Australia. And so shipping for them is really, really expensive. So even though they may love the books that are being published here, they can't readily get them. But I will tell you that the, the Audible is good. And when you were adding them, Tanya, they are they they have ebook as well, right? Or no? I think yeah. so, yeah. 
So I believe those are in ebook as well. So there are options for you. So friends, at this point in the conversation when we were recording, we uh, started to go off on a rant about series. And while we think that that conversation is worth airing, it probably wasn't worth airing in the original episode. So we're making that available as bonus content. So if you'd like to hear that conversation, check out the show notes and you will find a link in there to direct you to that bonus content. But I will offer a spoiler alert. We're not big fans of Keeper of the Lost Cities series. So if you love that series and don't want to hear us pick on it, you might want to just skip this one. Ladies, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap this up? I have one final thing I want to say about picture book biographies. Go for it. Now that I've thought about why I love picture book biographies so much, I think it's because it broadens the reader's mind, whether that's a child, a young adult, an adult, to what's possible. Mm. Because the more stories you read about people and their real world experiences, the challenges they had, what they overcame and what they accomplished, I think children can believe that their ideas they can bring to fruition. I love that. I think you're completely right, Tanya. It, it opens windows into other worlds for our children that are real. Another value of those picture book biographies is that you, you mentioned them opening windows, but when you read a book that size that's factual, you can open more windows in the time you have and then yeah. decide where to focus. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Girls, this is really amazing that we're able to talk like this and uh, check in with each other and encourage each other in our reading and let other people look in. And mamas, let us remind you that this is our reading. This is how we do it. It works for us in this season. If you check in with us each month, things will be different. We'll be doing it a different way. And we give you whatever encouragement you need to lean into the season you're in and to read what is good for you right now, whatever that is. However that looks, just do what is good for you and your babies and your vocation. Thanks for listening to us today. And as always, we beg you to come and chat with us. Tell us what you're reading. Join us in the BiblioGuides online community. It is a free community online. It's a good alternative to social media. So if you've given up social media for Lent, this isn't really social media. You can come and do this for free and it won't break your fast. <laughs> so come join us, chat with us, tell us what you're reading and um, tell us what you'd like to hear us talk about in future episodes. Maybe we will. Sarah and Tanya, thank you. It was fun. And I think we want to make sure people know that it's okay for reading to be fun, even yes. if you're homeschooling. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. And Tanya, I hope you'll come back next month and tell us how Bjorn the Proud ends. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Story or not, it's a cliffhanger. <laughs> yes, I will. <laughs> Friends, head over to our website and check out the show notes. We will have links to all of the books that we talked about today and a link to the BiblioGuides online community that you can join and chat with us further. So thanks for listening, and until next time, friends, 